This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. My guest for this hour is Maisha Bahati. She is the CEO of Crystal Nugs, the first, the first black and woman-owned cannabis storefront dispensary and delivery service in Sacramento, California. Maisha, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. I'm really uh, one of the things that we do on this show on a regular basis uh, is we highlight uh, both our concerns about uh, legalization of cannabis. For me, as a a racial justice attorney, the legalization of cannabis is a civil rights issue. Uh, And we like to feature people and organizations that are doing the work of integrating into this space, which has not always been as warm and welcoming to those of us who are from communities of color uh, in an effort to really (laughs) break down some of the barriers and knowledge that people have about uh, successful cannabis businesses. Uh, talk to the audience about how you decided to enter the world of cannabis and specifically uh, the retail side of this particular industry. What was the motivating factor for you? You know, it's interesting. We uh, Prior to getting into cannabis, I, I wasn't, I'm not from the legacy market. I worked for the government for 18 years before I retired to become a full-time cannabis entrepreneur. So um, my husband and I had a couple of ATM businesses, and this is prior to the legalization of cannabis in California, and we had them placed in a couple of dispensaries. And we just saw mm-hmm. how much money was rolling through these machines, and we were like, man, we got to figure out how to get into this industry. So we knew that it was going to be becoming um, legal in 2018, so we just kind of said, Let, let's figure it out. So we just... Mm jumped in it we started finding locations you know this was new to all of us we did it all on our own um but it was a new industry we knew that it was going to be a lucrative industry and um once i got in that's when the city of sacramento developed a social equity program right so Mm. i figured out i qualify for it so i was like i gotta get in this program like i knew (laughs) that this program was was going to get me a storefront dispensary at the time, I just wow. had a delivery service. So, so yeah, the motivation to get in it was just, you know, I was working at a job that I did not like. I was miserable. Mm. I was unhappy. I was unfulfilled. And, you know, I needed to do something. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was a fashion designer at the time. And, you know, just kind of hustling, doing this, doing that. And, you know, once we got into cannabis, it was like, okay, this is it. But there were no black mm. people in there. There were no black people right. and there were no black women. So that was another motivation for me because I was like, man, I got to get it. Like, I got to get it. Mm. I am a new face. I'm bringing a new energy. I'm bringing a new vibe. And I was getting a lot of love just from the community, from people who knew about me. So it just gave me the inspiration to keep going, keep going, you know, keep trying to grow, keep trying to create opportunities. And at this point, I'm just kind of obsessed with it now, Uh, (laughs) just trying to make a change. Well, it's been very successful. 
You've been very good at this. So I can imagine it would be easy to be obsessed uh, with something that has taken off the way Crystal Nugs has. Uh, you said you first started with ATM businesses and, and you saw the money mm-hmm. that was rolling through. Give us a sense, because I think for a lot of us who, who kind of have an idea about cannabis, but aren't really necessarily as connected to it. When we're talking about the type of money that dispensaries are able to take in, is there a range? Like, is there a dollar amount that, and it, without giving up any of your own government information, uh, for those businesses? Is where you had those ATMs. What type of numbers were you talking about uh, before you actually entered into the cannabis market yourself? I mean, we were putting in probably fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a week. So these these stores were going through. Wow. And this is just ATM cash. This isn't people who are just walking in with their own money. Um, wow. So you're going through about twenty thousand a week, and we're just like, again, this was the unregulated market, so they weren't paying taxes like they are now. Mm. You know, the regulated market is insane. Um, and let me just thank you for for saying that. You know, we're successful, but this is the most, this is the hardest industry, and you mm. really have to have a backbone and you really have to have drive, because a lot of people we started with. Um, when we opened in March of 2019, our delivery service, you know, we started with zero customers, like no customers at all, girl. My mom was the first customer. And, you know, within two years, we were over, you know, 8,000 customers. So we were, I mean, we learned everything from the ground up. And, you know, it's just so different now getting into the industry as it was before. Um, As far as storefront dispensaries here in Sacramento, I mean, I think the probably the minimum is $5 million a year. Mm. And, you know, it goes up from there. So there's a lot of money. Granted, we pay a lot of taxes, too. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> what looks like money, once you kind of get in, you start paying your taxes and all that, you know, you're like, whoa. But, you know, it's a very lucrative market, which is why it's very difficult to get in, of, um, of course. Mm. You know, it's expensive. It is expensive. I mean, you have people that... You sometimes you don't know if people are being real with you or not. You know, you're a black woman. Um, you know, you're dealing with pretty much 80% white males. Um, mm. So, you know, you've got to deal with that attitude. And yeah. I don't know sometimes yeah. if you guys are trying to take advantage of me. So, you know, you just, as people of color coming into this industry, I've learned that you got to have your stuff together. You have to have mm. legal representation, number one. You know, you have, right. it's a corporate structure that's what cannabis is to legalize and if you Mm. don't understand how that works and you don't understand the legalities in that you get taken advantage of and i've seen it with my own eyes so it's a great industry to get in but you have to understand business and you have to understand you know how that works um Mm. as a person of color in a social equity program you know these programs are kind of popping up and they're great programs because it gives us an opportunity to get our feet in the door. However, right. you know, you have to be aware of predatory, you know, sharks out there who want to use your status to get in the, in the business. And before you know it, they've taken half of your equity. And I see that. Mm. I see that so much. And it, it, it's sad because, you know, you got in two years, you're going to have no equity in your business and you're not going to have generational wealth, which is kind of why we were all trying to get in this in the first place. So, Mm, I mean, it's exciting to get in, but it's a little scary because, you know, um, like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I never dealt with a lawyer before. I never dealt with the city council and understanding the politics of that prior to this industry. I had to learn that. And I realize now that Mm. that is 90% of it. (laughs) 
just understanding right, how right. that works. And sometimes, you know, people, call, we don't really come from that. You know, we, we, we're not dealing mm. with that. So, right. That's not necessarily um, the background really that we're rooted in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. and, and I, what I, I what love about <laughs> exactly, and when you're coming from a community that has only been criminalized for engaging in this practice, uh, versus communities right. that have business plans you know, that are engaging in this practice, right. it's a very different starting point. But you, you guys, so you have a dispensary, but you said you started out as a delivery service. Did you always intend to have a retail brick and mortar dispensary, or were you were you just was that sort of just the natural expansion yeah. beyond the, the the delivery program? Well, that was always the goal. But at the time, um, you know, with the storefront dispensaries, the city releases those and they only release Mm -hmm. a limited amount. So when we got into the industry, Sacramento had capped out any storefront dispensaries. There was 30 that had transferred over and and those were 30. So Mm -hmm. when I got into the program or when I got into the industry, we were just a delivery service. However, when the equity program came about, I knew because I was doing my homework that mm. if they were going to release a storefront dispensary, it was going to be through that program because that's how they had wow. done it in San Francisco. That's how they had done it in Los Angeles. That's how they had done it in Oakland. So part of this industry is positioning yourself. So I, I worked my ass off to get into this program um, mm. because I knew. And lo and behold, about two years later, the city of Sacramento released 10 storefront dispensary permits to members of wow. the equity program. And mm. that was hard. I mean, that, I, you know, you needed a business plan. You had to write a um, RFQ request for a proposal. I had never done that. I had never even heard of that before. Right. So, mm, yeah, you know, it, 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 you know, you just, I had to figure it out. You had a lot of people, there were a hundred and people, 105 people who applied um, for the dispensary. And I was one of the 10 who got selected. This was in April. So, wow. um, you know, the city gave us three years to open up these storefront dispensaries. Um, we were blessed a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of months ago, excuse me, we signed a lease to the large, it'll be the largest dispensary in Sacramento once operational. It's a 7,800 mm. square foot, two-story location. We signed a lease. Um, you better so be a business mogul. The process. <laughs> I love, wait, we need a round of applause. Y'all better not just be no. the first black owned, woman owned, but now the largest. Oh, That's what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking See, let about. Me tell you let me so, tell you something. One thing about the industry is there is, I had recently gone to BizCon. Um, that's the largest kind of cannabis networking event. It's in Las Vegas every year. So I gone this year, first time, and I could probably count on two hands how many black people I saw on there. Um, It was just a sea of white men, very corporate, you know, suit, ties, that kind. And I realized Mm. not only is it that, but it's missing just that kind of black girl magic. It's missing that vibe. Mm -hmm. And so I was just thinking, you know what? I'm not allowed to, like, get it. Because one Mm. thing about cannabis, and I'm noticing, is that, um, you know, it's still kind of looked upon. There's still a stigma on it. And... um, I noticed that there are uh, a market of professional women, 40 and above, who like to engage in cannabis. And, mm. you know, the market is out there, but I just don't think that, you know, we don't really resonate with what we see right now. <laughs> you know, it, it, right. It's, right. it's just, it's, it's not our vibe. So, you know, I'm looking to, you know, kind of change the stigma of it, um, you know, upscale, you know, classy, professional, 
you know, all that. I just kind of want to bring that into the market. So, mm. um, so you know, one I'm of the things that I'm it. seeing. Like, yeah, our dispensary is amazing. One one of the things that I'm seeing and as I'm observing in the course of this conversation is that you've taken some steps that uh, when I was in uh, private practice as an attorney and, and I uh, when I left corporate law, I would, you know, talk to a lot of young small businesses and, and folks who were trying to get uh, themselves established. And I'm hearing some key things and I want to just really make this plain for the audience. You were very clear about what was happening in the market around you. You said you were studying the regulations. You had seen how this uh, the dispensaries had been uh, released or the licenses for dispensaries had been released in other jurisdictions close to you. You were studying the market. You were making a lot of observations so that you were that much more informed before you got into this space, doing the work of, of, the, of preparing yourself for the social equity program, then securing one of the 10 licenses. That requires a level of diligence that I think, again, I, I just want to point this out. It's not just that you decided, well, you know, I, I like green and, and everybody else in my community like green. And so I'm just going to do it. Like, there was some study. There was some discipline. There was some actual business plan type of work that had to go into this so that you're able to be as successful as you are now. And I just want to point that out because this isn't one of those industries that you can just dip your toe in and think that it's going to be enough. You really do have to do the work, particularly because we're still talking about uh, a product that is not yet legalized at the federal level. Uh, so I just want to point that out because we, we've seen, you know, a lot of times when I do this segment, we'll get the inevitable person who says, well, you know, I thought about getting involved in the market, but you got to have so much money. You got to have so much this, so much that. And it reminds me of when uh, my husband and I were buying our first house and there's a lot of paperwork involved. And I was telling my husband, you know, we were talking about it and I was like, yeah, well, there's a lot of documents, but you know, I was a lawyer at that time. So I was comfortable with documents. But as I was talking with a number of friends, I realized that so many more of us would be buying homes if we weren't afraid of the paperwork and if we weren't afraid of the actual process. And what I'm hearing from you is that you knew there was a process, but you were not afraid of that process. You were willing to do the work of engaging in it. Uh, so I just want to point that out so that people are clear. This isn't a ticket to, you know, you ain't going to puff your way to easy street. But what you can do is make some real <laughs> investments in ensuring that your infrastructure is ready to manage the successes that are coming. Let's talk about this black girl magic spin that you're putting on the <laughs> cannabis industry. Because I'm, I'm very curious about that. What does that look like for you? Well, what does that look like? Um, in addition to, so let me just throw my resume out there. Just to inspire people. You know, you can do it too. So, you know, we right now I have the um, uh, non-storefront delivery license, and then we're about to get our storefront dispensary license. Um, I'm also the first black woman, okay, in Sacramento, and one of 38 in the state of California that hold the cannabis event organizer license. And what mm -hmm. that is is that allows me to host events um, where consumers can purchase and consume cannabis. Mm -hmm. It's an untouched market um, <clears throat> because, it, again, it's very difficult to kind of get through the door, but um, it's been something that we've been working on for two years. And next year, so September 24th, we're going to have our first ever cannabis event um, it's called the Comedy Joint, and it's an outdoor comedy show um, where people can purchase and consume cannabis. So it's never been done before. It's crazy, but that's kind of the vibe I'm on. I'm very innovative, and I want to bring, you know, my vibe, what I like, um, this urban kind of feel into the market. So, you know, that's mm. another thing that I'm really passionate about. I also co-own a cultivation and manufacturing and distribution facility that's in the process of um, 
being built out, I partnered with another social equity black woman, uh, Miko Banks, on this project. And so once everything is kind of up and running, um, I will hold every license that can be obtained in cannabis. So I'm pretty proud of that. Mm. Um, Mm. I'm I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, Yes, as you should be. I'm just proud of that. (laughs) Uh, And again, let me just, um, what you had said earlier about just, you know, kind of having to be prepared um, this was an opportunity that I, I see as an opportunity of a lifetime for me. Again, mm-hmm. I came from working 18 years, very miserable, very unfulfilled, check to check. You know, I have three kids and a daughter who played sports. So I, I just was, was hustling, but I knew there was something better. So when I got into cannabis, I considered this an opportunity of a lifetime. So I took it very seriously mm-hmm. because this is, you know, this is, you only get one shot. There are people who started in this industry with us who are either let their licenses go because they just can't sustain themselves or they've sold to different companies. And this is everybody. This isn't just, you know, social equity. These are just people who've gotten to the industry. So it's not an easy industry to not only get in, but to sustain yourself. You mm-hmm. have to understand, you got to have a plan. You know, you, you got to have a plan. It's not about just money. You got to have a plan. Okay. How are you going to be innovative? You are now competing with, you know, multi-million dollar businesses um, who are pairing up with big celebrities. So you got to you got to figure out, OK, where's my angle? So when I first started, I remember just trying to figure out, OK, how are we going to how are we going to market this? And we decided, let's go with black owned black woman. Like there was nobody else doing it. Market yourself. Mm. And so mm. that's what I did. And, you know, I was a little nervous at first because I was like, oh, God, are are people not going to support us because we're black? You know, you think about all this kind of stuff. But I said, it is what it is. It's who I am. So in that, I've also um, I also have my own brand. I am the first black woman in Sacramento to have her own cannabis brand. And it's my signature brand, Maisha Bahati. Wait, round of applause. Uh, Round of applause. (laughs) Are you serious right now? We got into white labeling. I got into (laughs) white labeling. You know, that's kind of where it's going. So. Okay, um, wait, t- t- how, hold on, time out, time out, time out. Break this down, yes, for, explain yes. white labeling for the people who don't know, and then I want to just tease this out a little bit. See, I knew this was going to be a lengthy discussion. I just didn't know we were going to uncover all of these little nuggets, and yes, I did mean nuggets, crystal oh, nuggets. See what I did there? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right, go ahead, explain. Um, what yeah, is white, white labeling? labeling and- is, is um, to me, it's kind of where it's going. Basically, that is where you just kind of create a brand. So, you you know, when you see all these brands coming out, um Jay-Z monogram, you know, little Kim's yep. coming out with one. Um, yep. They're all white labeling. That means you, you put your name on, you know, a packaging and flower. So, um, you know, I was a fashion, like I said, I was a fashion designer prior to cannabis. So I was already kind of marketing myself. So I was like, why not do cannabis? I'd done clothing. I'd done shoes. So, and I can sell it at my own retailer. So, you know, I can, Wow. You know, I'm on the front page. I market myself. You know, it's been a bestseller. Um, I just kind of sell it at Crystal Nugs because I don't have distribution yet. Just because you have to kind of have your stuff together when you're putting out a product. You got to make sure that your your production and manufacturing is all in place. And so I've just kind of started it on a small scale. But that is kind of where the industry is going. It is. It's going to be eventually about brands. Mm. See, there's a couple mm. things you got you, you have to do. Um, and one of the things that I realized is that you have to be vertically integrated. That is where the industry is going. And 
a lot of people, particularly, you know, my social equity people, you know, we need to understand that not only you can't just make it with one license alone, because what people Mm -hmm. are doing is they're growing their own cannabis and they're, you know, you're able to cut out all the middle people and mark your price lower than a lot of people. And that's what it's all about. It's price and good cannabis. So Mm. that's kind of what Crystal Nines is doing is, is, you know, that's why we're doing the cultivation and manufacturing so we can white label our own in-house brands. Uh, The market is still so early that people aren't really brand associated. I mean, to a small degree, but you know, that's like, I try to encourage people like distribution and manufacturing. That is kind of where you guys need to be focused on. A lot of people try to focus on retail, but if you're able to create these white label brands and get them in these stores, like that is where it's going to happen. So, um, mm. you know, I'm, just I'm hearing some more. I'm, uh-huh. I'm hearing some more of the business talk that I, I want to just, again, yeah. highlight for people, distribution and manufacturing. Right. So it's not just about do I have my grandmama's great recipe for hot sauce? It's can I package this hot this hot sauce? Can I manufacture this hot sauce and can I distribute it to all the companies that I want to sell my hot sauce? So it, it's it's so much more than just having um, even if you are coming from the legacy market, but it's so much more than just having a space out of which you sell your product. It's about systematizing mm-hmm. And building up the infrastructure, again, y'all know my one of my favorite words is infrastructure, about building the infrastructure <laughs> out so that you can own the market from soup to nuts, from the rooter to the tutor, if we're going back to, to, like, to that language. Like the right. reality is if you are able to not just have a product, uh, you white label your product, you are able to distribute your product, you get the licenses, you're able to expand and you know secure your bag by having not just one license, but every license available in your state. Oh my God, this is aspirational. Uh, then that really is putting you in a position where you can dominate in ways that take you out of the small player, uh, the small participant role within this industry. And I think that, quite frankly, is just true for every industry out there, but it is particularly true uh, for this one, that is to be sure. Think, Talk to us a bit about some of the yeah. challenges that you've faced. We, we've heard from some folks who have said, you know, I'm in this industry and I wanted to refinance my house, for example, but because I'm in this industry and the way my state is set up, I can't get refinancing because banks won't deal with me because of the source of my income. Uh, we've seen folks who have talked about the fact that, you know, their their, their funding streams get shut down uh, once they are, are firmly rooted in the cannabis space because there are questions about uh, federal funding and the permissions that you need in order to engage in banking and on, and on the banking side and the finance side of the house. Talk to us about some of the regulatory uh, or, or just personal challenges that you have faced trying to enter, not just enter the industry, but but since it feels like you're starting to dominate the industry, talk to us about some of the challenges that you've experienced in getting to that point. You know, I mean, we, we, we face challenges every day. I just, I don't highlight those, but um, you know, one of the, I mean, a big thing right now is security. Um, And Mm, like, especially in the Bay area, like there's been a rash of just these smash and grab and dispensaries or just cannabis businesses, period are a huge target because it's untraceable money. So, you know, when we first started our delivery, we had got hit twice. They didn't actually get into our actual building, but they knew we were there. They tried. Mm. So that's kind of scary. And you have to, you know, you, you got to have your security together. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, that gets pricey. And, and, you know, a lot of people try to cut corners because money is tight, but you can't do that. You just can't do that. Mm. Um as far as banking, um, in fact, or here in California, there are cannabis 
like they're banks that specialize with cannabis. Um, the good thing about these is that you can have a place to put your money. The bad things is that it's very expensive. Mm. Um, you know, there are good and bad. Um, you know, we don't, we pay our employees in cash. We don't write checks off this bank because some of the major banks don't recognize. Mm. Um, but let me just say as far as challenges, like, you know, there's always a way around it. Um, yeah. How I figured it out was um, there is a bank, it's a financial institution, Dama Financial, and they had an equity opportunity. So if you were an equity, social equity uh, participant, they would give you a checking account and they would waive the monthly fee, which was $2,500. That's a lot of money. $2,500 is the monthly fee? That's the monthly fee. Okay. All so, right. and this was three years ago. But I got, you know, I was a social equity person, um, participant. And I would I would call these businesses and say, hey, do you have a social equity, you know, rate? Mm. And when I got in there, they had waived it. So, um, wow. So, I mean, they're... As far as like capital, like capital is a huge, a, a huge kind of barrier for all of us. Um, currently, Crystal Nugs, we're independently, we own 100% of our business. Mm. Um, but moving forward, we are going to need capital. <clears throat> you know, it's going to be about $2 million to build out our dispensary. Mm. And, um, you know, that's kind of where we are right now. We're just kind of understanding, negotiating, you know. Um, we turned down a half a million dollar um, partnership with a really huge cannabis business because it just wasn't in our benefit. Wow. So challenges you face um, is, you know, trying to avoid the sharks. That's the challenges. Yeah. <laughs> it's trying yeah. to avoid being taken advantage of. Um, banking, you know, there's institutions out there that work um, with cannabis banking. Like I said, there are expenses, but if you are in the social equity program or if you, you know, ask about that. Because mm. a lot of these businesses are coming up with social equity because they know there's a need. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of the doors I got into was through social equity. Mm. Because I would say, I'm social equity, what do you guys have? And, you know, they would have something that I would get through the door. I um, love that. Again, I knew the program was going to be beneficial. Um, they're not perfect. These programs right. are not perfect. I don't think they really address everything that we need as um, people of color who are affected by the war on drugs. Like, mm. you know, you, you got to have some breaks in this, tax breaks, something, because this is so expensive. But right. until that happens, you got to, you know, you got to talk the talk. You got to figure it out. And you got to challenge a lot of these businesses. Let them know this is, you know, I am a social equity. This is why it's important. What can you do for me? Right. And I think one of the things I love that because one of the things we're seeing is that, you know, some of the states that were first out the gate with legalizing cannabis haven't necessarily done so in the most equitable way. You know, I'm in New York Mm -hmm. and they've done a lot to study how other states did this work and have really tried to have a more equitable approach to it. Uh, But there is still a lot of work to be done. Uh, But what advice would you have uh, for people who are looking Mm -hmm. to to do what you have done and not just go straight to a dispensary, but to really explore the ancillary businesses? as TJ noted, uh, and opportunities that exist for the industry? Um, I would start with your local um, jurisdiction um, or your state. You know, if they're becoming recreational legal, um, your state should have an office of cannabis on the state website. 
Um, and you just have, you got to have to look at those apps, you know, look at the information they should have all the licenses when they're going to be ready. So do your homework on your state website. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably start there first. Um, that's going to have all the information because, you know, if you know the right information, then you can execute right. As mm-hmm. far as dispensaries, you know, I know it's different in different states, but, you know, a lot of times you have to kind of bid for those. So I would probably look into getting your business plan you know, look into some legal representation. Like, I just want to really stress to my people that you're going to have to spend some money on, you know, the right essentials you need. And that's legal representation, mm-hmm. a must, a must, a must, a must. Um, please don't try to make decisions on your own. You know, a lot of this stuff we've never seen before. You know, legal paperwork we don't understand. So, you know, don't mess yourself up before you can get a chance. So, again, check your state website, um, Office of Cannabis. Look into if the city, if your city is going to be starting a social equity program. Most of them are. If, if, if it's coming recreational legal, there's probably going to be some talk about a social equity program. You do what you can do to get into that program. That's how mm. you're going to get a dispensary. Got it. Got it. I love that. So uh, just, just do your homework. Yeah, this is not the space to scrimp, y'all. And I know a lot of folks don't like lawyers, and I say, oh, yeah, I don't like a lawyer until you need one. Uh, but this is not the place <laughs> where you scrimp yeah. uh, at all. Uh, Maisha, yeah. it has really been a pleasure having you. And there are some folks who are asking if we're going to be preserving this interview so they can share it. Yes, this is going to be uh, one of the interviews that we send to the podcast, so you all will be able to share it. Uh, and for the caller who is trying to figure out how to get in touch with you, your website is crystalnugs.com. Uh, is there any other... Yeah. Uh, site that folks should use or is that directly where they should go you can go to my website i'm on instagram under maisha bahati you can send me an, a message there i'm on linkedin as well um under maisha bahati so yeah you can always kind of hit me up on those um you know i'm able to be uh located <laughs> i love it i love it i love it her name is maisha Thank bahati you. uh she is the ceo and founder of the first black and first woman owned dispensary she is also um someone who i'm gonna have to come visit in september for this comedy joint because uh, i'm like brian we he's from california yes. we need to head on back to sacramento yes, and yes. participate in the comedy <laughs> event uh the first social enterprise and an event uh license holder you are doing all of the things and setting just really a great model uh, for people who are thinking about dipping their toes into their in- into this industry. Uh, I'm really grateful for having had you here. I hope we can get you to come back to keep us updated on how you're doing uh, and any other advice and insight you can give for people who are looking to follow in your footsteps. Thank you so much for being with Thank us today. You. Thank you so much for having me. This was great.